It's episode 70 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Katie Shute. We have to yay ourselves because no one else is here. Well, yes, and otherwise it just seems a bit weird. Yeah. Uh, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm all right. Yeah. Here I nice. am asking the tough questions right from the start. <laughs> and I'm filling in with lots of detail. Am I all right? <laughs> yeah, um, good, thanks. You've written a book. I have. I've written a ruddy book. Look, I brought it with me. Wow. Well, this is actually a proof copy because they're not printed yet. And you are the fourth human to see it, maybe? Wow. Third or fourth? So it's it's called The Improviser's Way, a long-form workbook. And it's like, it's a 12-week book, really. So you go through it like a workbook and do a week at a time. Obviously, you don't have to. I'm not there. I can't make you do that. Um, <laughs> no, I like the idea it's really strict. And if you don't do it, you'll be like, it's a big trouble. We've been chucked out the improv four, scene. That's it. You're out. You know, totally. um, yeah, you can have a look if you want. Thank you very much. Um, so that's yeah, that's our proof. So we're still going through it and checking if we've spelt anything wrong or yeah. whatever, seeing the quality and all that stuff. This has got it's got it's got heft, and I'm sure it's got quality as well as quantity. But it's got quantity, and um, I like the fact that it looks like a role-playing book. Cool, good. <laughs> I'm like, that. oh, I'm really excited about playing in this uh, a science fiction world. Uh, that is featuring you <laughs> as the I main mean, protagonist. What What is improv apart from a really long-winded RPG? Well, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, regular listeners will know that that's very much where I came from. Yeah. Uh, and my friend Pete, uh, who was just so good at creating stuff, um, I thought, oh, I wish I was that good. Maybe there's some training I can do. And it turned out there is. Do you still do games with Pete? Um, no. You dumped him for improv? I dumped him, no, no, he, he also, uh, his wife had a baby, so they're concentrating on that, and so the group kind of fell apart. Um, I really would like to carry on, um, because I think there's a lot of things I learned in improv that I could then, you know, bring back into role-playing. Yeah. I mean, the way we played was very much, it was very much narrative rather than the gaming side of thing anyway so it was a shared universe that we created and we would switch between running the universe so I would get to play with in the universe with some of the things I had created and stuff like that which was loads of loads of fun so, so it was your own thing rather than D&D &D and Pathfinder or oh, it was Call of Cthulhu oh cool awesome um, nice. but you know from that we then you know brought in other elements and you know we had a a really fun ongoing uh, campaign. Oh, you've tricked me into talking. <laughs> oh, you I asked thought... me. You asked me some questions, <laughs> and you tricked me into. Oh, I thought this podcast isn't niche enough. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get rid of another portion of your audience who doesn't care about role playing. <laughs> What's your role playing game of choice? Um, well, I play sometimes with Mark Raw. We we play uh, we play D and D, but also uh, we had a Pathfinder game with Paul Foxcroft for a few years. And then people like Trillian, John Agapu, and, and, but there's loads of gamers and improvers, you know, will kind of play like Reborn Drive or Arkham Horror or any game that's just come out that's exciting. Yes. So that, but there's something we're doing in a couple of weeks. I can't remember what it's called, but that sounds fun. That's another RPG. So yes, I do like that side of it as well. There's a big, I think there's yeah. a big crossover um, in 
both the content and the sort of person it attracts. Yeah. Um, it's also a bit like maybe an improvathon or something because you're being one <laughs> character for a, a long period of time. Yes. Apart from you don't like level up in an improvathon. <laughs> <laughs> you just get really tired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is not, this is not as good. Um, right, so, um, looking at this book, there's, where did, where did the inspiration come to write a book? What, what was the, the seeds? Well, I'm, I'm very bad at goal setting. So when people say things like, what's your five year plan? I have a little vomit in the corner. I'm <laughs> does, like, that happen, does that happen a lot? Nobody asks me for my five year plan. Literally last weekend that happened when really? I was hanging out with non-improv, non-artist friends. Oh, well that's probably your mistake. Then. <laughs> 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 what an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, what going at? <laughs> really? Um, wow. Yeah, and he was like, oh, it sounds like you're doing great things. So what's your five year plan? I was like, what are you talking about? I don't know. Um, and I did make a five-year plan ages and ages ago, and I got like three years in. It was when I was doing stand-up, and I got three years in and kind of hit the goals I wanted to at that point, and then was like, oh, I'm not enjoying it that much. And then it was really weird that I was quitting this plan that I'd made. So I find that I'm just generally happier without some big plan that's taking over my life, and I like to be a bit more fluid yes. and just try and like build in habits rather than having an end goal. Uh, so the book, to answer your actual question, kind of came from, I've been blogging just sort of, uh, just kind of for me almost to have, you know, think out loud on paper kind of thing. Since about 2011, I think, is the oldest one on, on my site. Um, so I, and then maybe a couple of years ago, I was like, I'll try and do at least one a month. Hmm. And then that became a regular habit. Yes. And then last year at the May Days retreat, this time of year, which is September, John Creamer, who's in the May Days, he handed me yet another book. I think he's written like 10,000 books. <laughs> he's just shat out another book. And I was like, oh my God. Um, and you know, it's like 80,000 words and he's never mentioned it at all, you know, his hands your book. And I was kind of like, I really should do something with the seed that is those blogs like I think I have things to say now and I've discovered things through learning and teaching and stuff so I made it I did make a little goal for myself which was all right this time next year Good. I want to be here at this festival with a book cover in wow so that was it yeah and then the process was like I'll write a thousand words a, a day any day I'm not working before midday I'll write a, a thousand words wow and I and I decided to write 50,000 words before Christmas, looking at my diary and when I had space. So I did that. And then, and then I didn't really realise, because I've never written a book before, that it then takes eight months to edit that. <laughs> like, oh, all the writing is the rewriting. I see. Yes, writing is rewriting, as they say, yeah. Yeah, so ju just in time for that festival. <laughs> like, literally, we're going to send them there. Uh, I have hit that kind of goal, but that that's the process. But the the kind of reason for other people, not me, is is that you know when I go and teach in other countries or when I've taught a course for Hoopla or Maydays, whatever. There's always a point where you finish and you leave people, Aww. and they're like, "What do I do now?" <laughs> um, and you know, you can obviously go take another class or try and form a group or see what you're excited about and fill in the gaps and learn with other people and all this kind of stuff. But there's also sometimes people can't do that or it doesn't fit in or they want more. Like yeah. they 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 they're doing a class like once a week, but they want to work stuff up on their own or they're like, "What can I do solo? What? How do I get better?" In, on my own or whatever so I'm trying to answer those questions of 
here's here's a workbook that you can follow on your own or with your team if you have one yeah. or with a group of friends that also want to do it um so that yeah it's like extra homework for nerds <laughs> well, that's <laughs> the whole thing. even more improv well that's the whole thing i love I love that idea. I love the fact that, oh, I can just do stuff on my own and yeah. I will get better at improv, uh, you know, in my own time. And I think that that idea really excites me. Yeah. Um, and The Improviser's Way, that's a little bit reminiscent of another book yeah. with a similar title. There's uh, The Nerdist Way and there's The Artist's Way. Oh, I didn't know The Nerdist's Way. I know The Artist's yeah. Way, which I'm a huge fan of. Me too. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Um and I, yeah, I did that years ago, The Artist Way, and found it really useful. Yeah. And, you know, people like, I, was, I just met uh, Ginny Lyons for lunch, and we were just talking about how we love ticking boxes and f- filling in, like, little uh, spaces. So it's, <laughs> we've only done it in paper this time around. I mean, it might go digital later, but um, you can't see, listener. Yes. Stuart's looking at pages with little, uh, little boxes yes. that you can fill in and stuff. Here is a space for you to write out a list of today's boundaries that you have. For your own body. <laughs> Found the weirdest bit in the book. <laughs> make it sound super hippie. Do it doesn't fall open, fall open anyway yet. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's lots of little things like that where it's kind of hands-on and there's a big margin so you can write notes in it and stuff. That's the idea. Yeah. So let's let's talk about let's talk about. So it's twelve weeks. Yeah. So. Well, we don't necessarily have to do all 12 weeks. That would be spoilers. <laughs> but uh, what's, what's a flavour of the sort of areas that you're covering? Um, there's, I mean, there's lots of different things. All the chapters have, like, a header, and then there's a few essays in each one. So there's, like, there's a chapter on character, and there's a character on you, which is, like, figuring out how you improvise and what you can do to, to change or enhance the way that you work. And then there's well, there's a whole chapter on bad gigs, and I realised that I spent a lot of my time blogging about gigs that had gone horribly wrong, <laughs> <laughs> and then just not mentioning the name of the people that I was in those gigs with, but just talking about when it gets hard and how to deal with that. But if you knew the groups that you were in, you or you were in the groups out. that you were in, you <laughs> yeah. could perhaps figure it out. Is it the Maydays or Project Two? <laughs> Guess we'll find out. Um, so what is your advice for bad gigs? I think, that, I mean, there's a few strategies in there, but it's kind of wanting to be there is a big thing, right? I yeah. mean, it's so obvious when you say it, but sometimes we overcommit or, you know, you're just going to get there in time and then you're like maybe in the wrong headspace or, you know, there's loads of factors that mean... When you first start out, you want to do every single gig that's offered to you, right? And you're really, really excited and you couldn't possibly understand a world where someone might not be in the right mood to do an improv show because you think you've won the lottery. Yeah. But um, after, I think most people, after a number of, number of years, you're sort of hitting more of a probably work-life balance or you've yeah. got maybe a lot of gigs going on or something and some of them you're, you're tired for or not in the mood for or something's harder about that gig so finding ways of getting to the right headspace like what warm-ups do you need or what habit can that group get into are there certain things that'd be really useful yeah so when we did um so i've just been in edinburgh festival like a lot of people and the maydays had a show every day for the first half of the fringe so we did happily never after and that show is a microcosm of of the possibility of bad gigs. All of them went really well, yeah. thankfully. But that's because we worked together so long that we can find a strategy straight away. So we would, people would run from other gigs, like yeah. um, a couple of the Maydays were doing Enid Blyton and Shakespeare 
um, gigs and literally running to the venue and getting changed. And you have five minutes before the audience come in. And that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> um, so it was like, okay, cool. So we'll do some scales to warm our voices up. Then we uh, play like musical eight things. We all do a one to 20 exercise and uh, do a little energy raiser, which is called Isa. And it's kind of like a, almost like martial arts. And that is it. And that happens every single day. And building that habit sort of puts yeah. you right in exactly the right headspace. Yeah so that you almost don't have to think about it and there's no time spent on going, uh, cool, what should we do, guys? Yeah. Or no one has to be in charge and we can all just arrive, get in their mindset and get on with the show. So that helps. That's that's one way of avoiding bad gigs. Yeah. And just trying to take care of yourself so you haven't been up all night. <laughs> or, I don't know, that kind of thing. And taking care of everyone. So there's a bit about introverts and extroverts as well. So... Um, if you feel that you're an introverted person, it might take you perhaps a bit longer to get into a playing space, a social sort of playing space on stage, maybe where you're not being super self-aware. And if you're a really extroverted person, it might be the opposite in that you need to sort of take take the focus away from your own self and maybe get more into the vibe of everyone that you're playing with and like chill out a little bit more. Yeah. So you're both... At, at, in the same headspace of yeah. you got you you've met energies somewhere in the middle and you're ready to play together and look after each other on stage. So kind of stuff like that, really. Yes, um, and where do you fit on the introvert extrovert scale? Um, every quiz I've ever done, I'm like right in the middle. Oh right, okay. Which is weird, and I think when you're a performer, it kind of screws all the tests up uh, right. because they're like, "Do you love talking in front of people?" Like, yes on stage, stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. but then you know if you're at a wedding and something <laughs> and everyone I don't know it's it's weird it's this odd duality so I think I'm an extrovert on stage and I'm probably not an in, not a huge introvert but probably more introverted off stage I guess yeah I like I, I read a thing that was um the way to tell is where you get your energy from do you get your energy from other people yes. or do you get energy by spending time on your own yes but then if I spend loads of time on my own, I, I love being on my own, I really yes. do. And yes. you know, most people that write like spending time on their own. Yes. But after a while I go cabin, cabin fever, yeah. sort of crazy. <laughs> and I really need to see people. But then also if I'm hanging out with loads of people for a period of time, then I'll also feel knackered, so I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think it is a balance. It, yeah. It's a balance and it's a sliding scale. We're mm. all on the spectrum somewhere, um, in more than one sense of the spectrum. Um, but the um, but it's really interesting what you say about um, habits yeah. and the way in which you can sort of um, sort of codify things and then you don't need to use your conscious thought on them because it's just a routine and that's yeah. really that's a really powerful technique I think. And there might there might be other gigs where the most important thing you do is break those habits, you know. So no, nothing is a solid rule in improv, is it? It's oh, whatever's gonna. I thought what? we I thought this was a book of solid rules. Oh, no. I thought there were solid rules. <laughs> What's the point? You know, it's really hard writing it when every time you want to, every line I want to write a disclaimer that's like, but this might only be true ten percent of the time. I was like, oh well, that's you know, that's fifty thousand words gone once I've taken all of those out. Um, because you know you can't keep saying. This isn't true 100 percent of the time. Yeah, yeah because uh, I mean, I hope that that's that is implicit when someone reads a book by someone that this is their take on it, this is their interpretation, yeah. and you know there are going to be a hundred ways to do it. Um, 
Cool. So, um, and I've tried to be sensitive to that as well because I, I definitely have favourite areas of improv, but they also change. So, like, I might be in a really gamey headspace for a few months, or I might be much more slow burn for a while, and uh, and sometimes I love short form, and sometimes I hate it. <laughs> so there's there's that shift and change. So I I hope that I've tried to balance all of those things out so that people just use that as as a tool to work on their favorite things mm. but also not to be trapped in the one thing that you find easy yes you know if yes. you're if you're just a game player that i mean that's great if you're in a game school but if mm. you want to play with anyone else or do a different type of show sometimes you're just going to have to expand a little bit or if you're in a show full of people that only do game probably needs to be some emotional stakes in yes. there so if you could be that person for that show and in another show where it's all relationships but there needs to be a bit more like comedy comedy in there maybe that's your job in that show yes it's really interesting um, being able to play the different styles and think about the show and think about what the show needs and that's a really valuable thing yeah there was uh, Bill Arnett um, he's great he gives good advice about like you should warm up specific to the show you're doing oh. so it's no good doing generic improv warm-ups for everything if you're yeah depending what show whether it's slow or fast or yeah. character driven or it's gaggy or whatever that's that's the sort of warm-up you should do to get your brain working in the right way for the show i like that idea yeah that's, that's cool. great yeah. so which was the easiest chapter to write bad gigs okay. <laughs> and which was the hardest chapter to write basics basics really? was the hardest one to write why because you're because i'm like here is the basic like material for improv but it's so complex like you start talking about yes and which seems like the simplest thing in the world right agree and build and then you want to go okay so but later on once you've learned yes and then you want to be saying yes to the improviser and not necessarily to the character so if they're like um uh you've eaten a lot of cake you <laughs> i don't know is that an offer to stop eating cake to eat a lot more cake i don't know there's like all these little subtleties that come with experience yes. and in the way we teach people we give them these training wheels that are like almost to simulate what a good improv scene feels like but then you want people to be original and surprise you with their comedy. So you've got to take take all them away. Stop your dad holding the back of the bike. <laughs> and then and then the improv's going to be worse for a bit because they don't have that safety. Yes. Or, you know, or when people stop doing short form, which is built in gags. Yes. Um, then they're like, oh, long form's really hard. Why doesn't it work? Why isn't it as funny as short form sometimes? And it's like, oh, because you, you have to create your own game now. Mm. And that's harder. Yeah, so the basics was hard just because, just because that there's there's subtleties, but there's always like there's always listening and agreement, of course. But yeah, it was difficult. Yeah. It is interesting when you know a lot about a subject and you've got someone that's just starting, mm. and you just want to like tell them everything about that thing, but you can't because it's just going to overwhelm them, and they're going to go, oh, but this is true, but it's also not true, and I don't know what to do. Mm. And weirdly, I find that when I'm teaching web design, I'm like. Just for now, this <laughs> yeah. is true, okay? Yes, yeah. There are exceptions, but if we start going down the, ra the rabbit hole of those exceptions, you're not going to take away what this basic thing is. Yeah, so. totally. Yeah, it's exactly that. I think it's interesting difference between styles of teaching as well. Some teachers, and it's not something that works for me, 
but it, I'm sure it works for some people, of when you do a scene and you get stopped the whole time and right. coached all the way through something, yeah. that really messes me up because I'm like trying to process every single note. Whereas, yeah, I can deal with, here is, here is what I want out of this scene and fuck everything else. Yes. Then I'm like, great, I think I can nail this one thing or yes. focus on one thing at a time. Maybe three things if I'm feeling <laughs> super <laughs> intelligent. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I like the simplicity of this is the one thing we're learning right now. Yes. So, you know, we're, we're working on character. So screw the object work and don't worry about whatever else. You know, yes, and that was, that was one thing that I particularly struck home with me on your blog was the giving of notes and the giving of the most helpful note mm. rather than every single note that you can give. Yeah. I reckon students would just just give up if they could hear the inner monologue of your improv teacher. You're teaching like 101 and you're going, oh man, oh, here's 100,000 notes. What would be useful right now? Maybe just agree with the reality. Yay! Well I mean, there's some, there is something in... Um, I don't know, if at the beginning of a class, uh, if a student could give a rating between 1 and 10 for the amount of notes, <laughs> depending on how strong they're feeling, <laughs> and then it would be immensely complicated to, uh, to work through, but, you know, you could then give them, you know, all the notes or none of the notes, and then you could change the thing. No. <laughs> it's I quite like this. Do you know, I was mentioning Bill a minute ago, and he does another cool thing, which is... Um, he gets everyone stand in a circle with their back to him and then he says between uh, put up between one and five fingers behind your back for how, how much warming up you want to do oh, which is great and I'll do that when I coach groups now yeah. because some people say it's it's not your job and it's just something you do for fun and you just want to get away from your nine to five and have a lovely time with your mates yeah. you might want five out of five warm ups which is all night just want to play yeah. stupid games for no reason because it's fun and it's ace yeah or you might have someone who improvises maybe all the time. They're already warmed up. They've come from another place yeah. where they're doing improv and they might put one finger up and you're like, great. So we just play eight things and then we get on with scene work or ah. long form. So I found that that's a good way. of Yeah. That is kind of your one to ten yes. thing in a way, but for warm ups rather than notes. Now, that's a really nice system. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you... When you work with the same coach quite a lot, you can deal with more notes, right? Because yeah, some yeah, of them are yeah. just reminders, like, remember we talked about yes. this before? Oh, yes, I'll put that in play as well. Yeah. I, I can't cope with many at one time. <laughs> it takes me... Um, so my friend Fred has just come back from IO, so it's interesting hearing his view on it because it's like ages ago now, like nine years ago that I was there. So it's cool having a mate having gone through this five-week full-time experience and I remember being completely broken at week three which I think is an experience a lot of people have there where you just you hear so many things and so many contradictory things that it's it's really overwhelming but um yeah I don't know just that that whole thing of it takes a long time to process a note so I know that my improv was terrible for at least six months right after IO because wow. it was too much to process yeah, yeah, yeah. so I think my brain was like doing one thing at a time on on its own time like subconsciously yes and some things will will kind of you won't know what they mean at the time and maybe a couple of years later you'll go oh yeah, yeah, yeah. now I know what that person was on about yes. who was coaching me now it makes sense now yes. I have enough 
uh, foundation or groundwork to understand that, or maybe you notice the own pat your own pattern yeah. come up enough times that you're like, oh, that's what you mean. I keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, it is weird how sometimes it's only yeah long time afterwards where it all sort of falls into place. And you, oh, right, yeah, well, that that does make sense. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> Let's choose another another section of the book to talk about. What would you right. like to talk about? Uh, whatever you want. What What is exciting to you? Stuart's there with the whole content page in front of him. Oh, before we go any further, yeah. I just want to tell you that um, one of your exercises, which might, probably isn't in the book, might be in the book, is one of my favourite <laughs> exercises ever, and I haven't told you this. I, I bet just it's to... not mine. Anyway. Oh, right. No, that's, that's really, yes, no, you're probably right. Yes, that's the thing, isn't it? Oh, you know, this is a Katie Shoot exercise. <laughs> And it's like, well, yes, we learnt it from KT, but it may not... Oh, well, yeah. Uh, it was when we were doing the musical improv. Oh, yeah. And when we were choosing a film to enact, and then um, and then we chose three key scenes from the film, oh, yeah. and then we got to sing about the emotional situation in the scene, and we didn't deal with any plot because we'd done that by talking about that, and then we led into the, um, the song. That's my favourite improv exercise yeah, I've ever done. Yeah, it is mine! Yeah! I mean, probably someone else has done it in the zeitgeist of improv, but yeah, cool. And you know what? I completely forgot that was a thing, so do, also that's really useful, thanks. Please do that more. Please <laughs> okay. do that more, because that was my favourite. Um, I got to be... Uh, I also got to be Indiana Jones yeah. uh, with Jackie Black as my Marion uh, in Raiders of Lost Ark, and uh, I realised that's pretty much... All I wanted to do in improv <laughs> was to be Indiana Jones, and it so rarely comes up that when it does come up, and then I get to sing as well. Um, you know, that, that was all, many of my favourite things all in the same place, all at the same time. So thank you very much for That's that. My pleasure. Yeah, it's because we were doing like a narrative musical improv course or something, right? Yeah. Um, and I haven't, I don't think I've taught that since, because again, it's a super niche thing, right? Yes. It's like, I want to do improv, but also musical improv, but also narrative musical improv, and most of the people in the room are nerdy enough to be into particular films. Yeah, that's... That's never going to happen again. Oh. <laughs> no, I hope it does. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's a clique within a clique within it. Yeah, I mean, by the time you get to that level, we're all pretty much on the same page. There's, uh, there's three people on the scene. I'm like, we have a class we need. <laughs> yeah. Although it was hilarious because I, there were some people that didn't know the film that they were doing. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I think one of the ones was... Um, Dirty Dancing oh, yeah. and I hadn't seen Dirty Dancing at that stage and there was a lot of stuff about melons yeah. that I, watermelons that I was just anyway uh. do you know what I think that's pretty cool when one person on stage knows the reference and the other other one or two or whatever don't yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that makes for the best improv and I quite yes. like that with Project 2 like it, even though we're all into sci-fi it would be often that Chris was into one corner of sci-fi. Like, I watch Doctor Who a bit, but I'm not a nerd about it. I, I kind of stopped halfway through Capaldi, the Capaldi first series and stuff. So if Chris wants to do loads of references or work around a particular thing that he knows about, he can't go too deep yes. because me and all John won't know that and we can't get on the same nerd level with him but that's good because not everyone in the audience is going to nerd out about exactly the same niche either so it sort of normalises it for people it's, it's a conversation that's very relevant to me uh, Bryn, <laughs> yes. Bryn and I regularly have this conversation uh, uh, with Dr. Tuprov yeah. and it, it's it's sort of become a running joke that I'm going <laughs> but I want to mention Robert Holmes as, as I'm sure you're aware uh, as director during the Tom Baker era um, and Bryn's going 
nobody knows that <laughs> and it doesn't make sense and I'm going I know but I still want to do it um, so the way I get around about doing it now is I will throw in uh, references and maybe quotes that if you know it it's a bonus yeah and if you don't it's just a thing I've said. <laughs> yeah, like you could name a character, you know, after a director or, or, you know, or an actor or anything obscure that you want, right? And that wouldn't be any different than just making up a name for someone, but some nerd in the room's going to be like, yes, yes, this is awesome. Adric's come back. Yeah. <laughs> so this must be set before Full Circle. Anyway. Chris uh, played him in a... In an improvathon once. <laughs> pretty cool. Um, Bryn often casts me as Sarah Jane Smith. Oh, I'm cool. <laughs> great character, so I'm more than happy to continue playing that. Um, so, if Doctor Who is uh, Chris's area of sci fi, what's your area of sci fi? I mean, literally in real life, it's probably, I mean, it's Red Dwarf is my most nerdy sci fi thing, I think, which is weird because it's a comedy spoof of sci fi but the first five series are all in full in my head, you know. Um, but then I I also, you know, Ghostbusters is also right up there. Obviously, I've made a, I've made a musical of Ghostbusters years ago. Um, so I'm a huge nerd about that. But I also I love Alien. I love Blade Runner. I like that kind of classic stuff. I also like quite weird 70s, strange, you know. <laughs> Such as. Um, like... Uh, Dark Star, <laughs> like, uh, you know, stuff like that. I watched, uh, is it Event Horizon for the first time the other day, and I was like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> it's like this weird horror sci-fi space adventure that's a bit, like, on the border of hell. It's really cool. I can't watch anything to do with black holes <gasps> since watching The Black Hole. Oh, yeah. The Disney, the Disney film, <laughs> which I think... Well, it should have been a clue, but except it wasn't a clue because, well, I don't want to spoil what happens in the black hole, but it doesn't end well. <laughs> I mean, broadly, there's some redemption at the end. Ooh, anyway, and I'm just like, oh, I can't watch anything to do with black holes now. <laughs> I, saw it, uh, I saw it at a, a vulnerable age. Yeah. But, uh, I think I also... Um, there's something about things turning into weird viral outbreaks and stuff that comes up a lot in Project 2 or <laughs> like zombies or, you know, there's a big crossover with horror, I think, in our sci-fi yes. blend or mine because I'm a catastrophist so I always expect like really awful stuff to happen all the time so that shows up in our improv. There's a lot of death in our show. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's quite fun. You're a catastrophist? Yeah, I think so. What does that mean? Like, I just, yeah, expect the worst. Um, so was, to the extent that you're stocking up baked beans and blankets yeah home. totally really? <laughs> yeah a little bit not like a crazy person but like <laughs> well, a little bit crazy like, people don't think they're crazy surely yeah. otherwise they'd stop doing it that's true that's the catch 22 of crazy <laughs> but yeah I in my solo show I talk a little bit about being a catastrophist and just but then it, you kind of make yourself think well it's common sense you know uh, and also, yeah, just watching, like, I watch in equal measure survival films and horror films. Right. So I feel like they balance out. Like, <laughs> well, that's definitely going to happen, but it's all right because I'm prepared. <laughs> but then I live right in Clapham Park, so if it was a zombie apocalypse, I am dead. <laughs> like, there's no, there's so, there's such a high population where I live. I am, I'm dead. I'm so dead. Anyone in London is pretty much screwed, I think. Right. Okay. <laughs> 
Bear that in mind. Yeah. Happy days. <laughs> Go live in Brighton. Yeah. There's lots of good improv going on in Brighton. And it'd be by the sea. I don't know if you'd survive for much longer, but at least it would be nice. Get there. on a boat. Get on a boat. With no infected or bitten people. Can't zombies swim now? Uh, well, the ones that just walk along the bottom of the sea. Um, I'm thinking about, is it Fear the Waking Dead? Aren't they on a boat? I've not seen it. Oh, man. Aren't no, they on a boat? No, I've not seen that. <gasps> I oh, I no. <laughs> swimming. I mean, the, one, the idea of the dead just walking around the bottom of the ocean is freaky enough. <laughs> Can I just... Do you know, it's just digesting that? Yeah, well, it's, um, it's not really relevant, <laughs> but, you know. Um, this is all the conversations I have start with improv and end up on death. That's, that's typical. <laughs> so, um, you mentioned your solo show. Yeah. I just did one in Edinburgh. It was nice, actually, to write something kind of from scratch at the beginning of the year. Yeah. It, and it was called? It was called Shoot the Unromantic, because I am. Uh, yeah, and I did it last night, which is a nice kind of culmination of that show to bring it back. So I was doing previews before Edinburgh, did like only half the fringe, so like 12 shows, I think, and then came back and did one yesterday. And I have one more, which is coming up, uh, I think it's the 14th of October at Clapham Omnibus if you're in London. Uh, yeah, it's about, um, yeah, me, me basically hating big romantic gestures and finding them really uncomfortable and weird. Even if that's a lovely thing for someone to have done, I don't like it. That's interesting. So it's kind of exploring what romance is and what it means to different people and why it can be cringy, why some people love getting flowers and other people it's like awful. Why don't you like getting big romantic gestures? Well, there's a whole hour about yeah, that. Yeah, no, you're right. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. That's, uh, that's but, a good point. Yeah. I think it's something about you having to like give something back that's a reaction that's as big as the thing that uh, someone's done for you and just feels really I don't know it just feels really awkward and strange interesting <laughs> yeah maybe something about being the centre of attention like we were talking about introverts and extroverts yeah. earlier there's something about no I just want to kind of hang out with you not that you're doing a show for me and I have to respond to it in some way <laughs> we just chill yeah don't know but there's specific moments in my life that I talk about in the show that have been that yeah. and trying to get the audience to empathise or understand my side of it without coming across as someone who's really mean or evil <laughs> who hates people that are doing nice things like like I say it's often something really lovely that someone's doing because they care about you Yes. but they have to know you well enough to pitch that right yes. that's the thing it's hard I think, that's a, I think that's a good message that's a good message all <laughs> Listeners of the Improv London podcast, you know, these gestures are fine, but make sure you know <laughs> the person and how they're going to react. Yeah, That's generic awesome. poetry reading is probably good for some people <laughs> and awful for others. Yeah. I mean, you know, if someone were to read me Eliot's Wasteland or the Four Quartets, then I would probably appreciate that. But, you know, I'll yeah. put it out there now. People are just going to do that. We're walking down the street that's going to be reading. That'd be great. Uh, yes. Uh, modernist poetry to me. Yeah, fair enough. Bring it on. That's what I say. Um, <laughs> I've totally forgotten the question. I was, the thing I was going to say there. He's been I'm, overwhelmed by uh, the wasteland. Yes. Um, so the um, so that show scripted. Yes, it was. Um, and I had a year, in a way, effectively, of going. All I do is improv. I better write some stuff. So I wrote a book and a solo show, and now I feel like, oh, that's okay. I can do improv. I can legitimately just do some improv again for a while. That's maybe. really interesting. Yeah, because it's it's like a little drug, I think, improv, 
because it's great and everything you bring to the stage is awesome because you're improvising it and you can obviously there's levels of it's a bad show it's an amazing show but as soon as the show is done you can work on the craft but you can't work on the show in the same way as you can with mm. the scripted thing right you can't go in and edit you can you can strategize of we need to uh, rehearse in this way or get better at this bit but still the show itself is always new right yeah so there's something really satisfying about going back into a scripted show and going oh this moment works every single night this moment works 50% of the time mm. what do I need to do to this 50-50 bit to make it always land mm. always get a laugh or whatever the thing you're going for is so that's a really interesting different tack that I that I'm enjoying. Mm. But then all the improv stuff is of course so useful even when you're doing a scripted show because that's for me anyway because it's a solo show it's a discovery of every night you do the show it gets better because you're so, uh, you know consciously or subconsciously rewriting all the time even yeah. if it's just a little turn of phrase. And I know it's interesting occasionally if I bumble a line I won't get the laugh for the punchline or if I leave a word out or put something in a slightly different order yeah. by accident or it's not written well enough, yeah. I'll lose that joke. And yeah. It's like, ah, oh, right, I know what made this work now because if I do that in a wrong order, like I, I left two gags out last night that I really like because I'm a bit rusty. It's been like three weeks. And I was like, oh, that's two laughs I could have had. <laughs> oh! um, you know, so yeah. it's interesting. But I like that. It becomes a nice perfectionist thing of, um, by the end of Edinburgh, I, the last show I did in Edinburgh, I was really happy with because it felt like pretty much all of those things landed. Yeah. There were still things I was like, ah, oh, that worked better yesterday or whatever. So it's nice doing a run. And the same with improv, actually, like doing the May Days every day. The show, the standard does go up, yeah. you know, of yeah. course, because your, your group mind with those people is you know, in play, like, right now. And often you're living with people you're doing shows with in Edinburgh or other or at European festivals or whatever. So uh, the May Days European festivals or Project 2, I think they're always pretty much great shows, yeah. like, on a on our scale of what's, what's good. Um, so hitting a really nice one, because you've been sleeping in the same room with <laughs> those people for, like, four days and having and eating food with them and hanging yes. out with them. So, yeah. It does work with improv too, but it it is nice to perfect something that you yeah you know what the content is for once. It's it's pretty exciting. And what's the process for perfecting those moments? Are you videoing it? Are you audio recording it? Are you just remembering what went wrong or what went well? It's a great that's a great question, Stuart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so actually, I've I've made a a few solo shows, and last time I had. Uh, a bunch of different directors that would feed back on the process of making it, like right from from nothing up to making the show. So I devised it last time. This time I sat down and I wrote a show and then I rehearsed it on my own. Um, and only much later did I, when it was kind of made, did I then show it to a couple people. Um, which was like Rhiannon and Maria and Dave Waller and um, the artistic director of Clapham Omnibus, because I was developing my work in partnership with them, all supported by them. So 
uh, I wanted to be very clear about what my voice was before I let anyone else, uh, anyone uh, else in on the process. Yes. Because a weird um, side effect of improv for me is that I immediately encompass other people's ideas. Yeah. And I'm not an individualist and I'm not using my own voice. I am being a, a group voice or supporting whatever the larger thing that is that's going on. So in the last show, which I didn't like as much, I felt that I just was immediately defaulting to half of the style of my director and half of me almost. So, so my work came out as compromised. Right. Whereas when I've directed theatre, I've tried to make it all about them and try and find their voice. But because I had a few directors, I kind of was watering down the whole thing last yeah. time. So yeah, my process was sit down, write the show, afterwards go learn it. And then the development was, yeah, I filmed all of my previews and some of my Edinburgh shows and I watched them all. Wow. And went through, I went through the script literally ticking the bits that got laughs. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's like, yep, yeah, that got laughed, yep, yeah, that got laughed. And then I watched the next video with the same script and go, did that hit again? Did that hit again? What was different if this one worked on one night and not another? Yeah. Um, literally like, and it's not only a comedy show, it's also storytelling and it's, um, you know, th there's other moments of... Uh, emotional stuff <laughs> so it wasn't all about the comedy yeah. some of it was about the narrative of it and some of it's about other feels um but that that was the process and then like trying to get rid of all the fluff all the ramble um i got a lot of feedback from audiences so a clap omnibus uh you do like a scratch night and then people fill in you submit questions and then yeah. people fill in answers wow. so i collected all of them looked at all the feedback and what was nice is because I got a show already, I didn't feel precious about the material mm. and there was too much of it anyway. So having people go, I would ask questions like, if you cut one section, what would it be? Right, yes. And you know, if I got a lot of feedback that was one bit, it would be like, oh, well, that's easy then. I see that is not relevant to the bigger story. That can go, yes. or this bit can just be truncated. This joke ruins the flow of this bit of narrative or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed that process, actually. It's really nice. And then in Edinburgh itself, it was much more about the performance than the writing. Right. I felt like yes. the script was pretty great by the time I got to Edinburgh. But then it was performing it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is like 50% or more or like 90% of how good the show is is actually yes. how well I do it. And next time I'll be like, I need to do a lot more previews or spend a lot more time in a rehearsal room because right. the actual performance took me a few days to, to get to where it should be. Yeah. But then by the end, it's like if people laugh at a certain bit and they feel like they could have more, I don't know, you'd, I kind of, I guess I would milk bits that were already funny yeah. and find new material live on stage. Um, and bits that you don't write in a script, bits that are just, you know, physical comedy or you know whatever <laughs> so yeah it's part, partly working on the script but also you know if there's a bit that never works it's like well I should cut that <laughs> maybe take that out because it's shit um, yeah so that was the process just doing it over and over again cool yeah I know some people um, I always see it as um, it's either the U2 approach where they film everything and scrutinise things in detail yeah. or the Oasis approach where they never watch anything yeah and, that's you know, interesting I had advice actually, because when I got to Edinburgh, I, I had decided beforehand that, like the previews, I would film it every day, watch it every day, and change the show every day. Yeah. But I was living with Marnie Godden, who's an amazing comic. She does a great show called One Tooth. Uh, and I asked her, because she's done loads of solo shows, like, what's your advice? And she said, 
um, the show exists now, enjoy the show. Uh, Don't go around fiddling with it every day. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So actually I kind of took her advice and although I filmed a lot of the Edinburgh ones, I didn't watch them while I was up there. Yeah. Maybe maybe once or twice I did because I was like, oh, why didn't that bit work? Mm. So Or, oh, that was funny yesterday. I'll just watch it being funny again. That's <laughs> so bad. Um, uh, so that was great, actually, that, that there's a point where you're editing and there's a point where you're performing it and maybe they shouldn't yes. cross over too much. Because you'll get up in your head and then you'll ruin the delivery, I yeah. think, is the idea behind that. Yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, let's choose another section in your book. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> now it's like a, a radio show where we have a specific bit every time. Just have a jingle. <laughs> um, recovering. Recovering, so that's after I've written about bad gigs. It's like, oh well, here are nice things you can do to look after yourself, really, and not be super critical. Which what? is just kind of like what I was saying about Marnie's advice. Of, yeah. Um, particularly if you do a lot of improv, which isn't everyone, obviously, but uh, I think after people do that first bit of it being a hobby. And then either if it's just a hobby that is all you do in your spare time or whether it's something you, you start pursuing as, as a career or something you just spend yeah, more hours on, then you can take it too seriously. And then that sort of defeats the point of being an improviser. Yeah. If you're like, everything must be great and I must, <laughs> I must execute everything well rather than I do this because it's fun. Mm. So there's a bit about that. And there's just self-care of you know, learning how to take compliments and not just only listen to criticism and keep working on yourself. I was, uh, I realised recently, I was just talking to Ginny Lyons, that kind of unconsciously, but now consciously, I, I go through periods where I'm like um, uh, taking in and periods where I'm, I'm processing. So, you know, like earlier I said, sometimes it takes six months for a note to go in. So now I'll go through like, uh, maybe six months of doing all the classes I can take with mm. like visiting improvisers and people that I think are cool or working with a new group or whatever, like taking as much in as I can. And then I'll spend a period where instead of keep learning stuff all the time, all the time, mm. I'll just not read anything, not take any classes and just let all that stuff sink in and, ah. and become like what is useful to me in my work gets processed mm. so that, I'm like I'm I'm good I'm done it feels solid I feel confident and I know who I am and how I improvise mm. and then I'll go mess it all up again with loads of new classes that's really interesting so while I was writing that book I didn't as soon as I decided to write it I stopped reading anything about improv because I was oh partly just don't want to plagiarise anyone else's yeah. book you know but also I didn't take any classes or anything I was just like this is a period where I'm giving out stuff mm. and now this autumn I'll I'll, I'm working with John Bolden in the Slapdash Week, um, uh, with Armando Diaz, and also with Will Hines, and like a bunch of visiting improvisers. So that'll be like intake time. Mm. I'll learn new stuff, um, shake up my improv again. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting. I've not thought about yeah having a phase of when you're yeah taking all the information in and then having a phase to process it. Yeah. That's uh, really yeah. It seems to be a really nice sort of rhythm to that. Uh, it gets yeah. addictive as well taking classes yeah. right and sometimes we think the only way to improve is like keep learning keep learning keep learning keep yes. learning but yeah active learning with with different teachers does does mess with your head and you're continually trying to change tack and 
uh, yeah, and sometimes, but you have to be an individual improviser as well as learning all that stuff. So you have to find what your favourite things are, yes. what your superpower is, what you do amazingly. And yes, and I think that's really interesting. And I've sometimes I've seen groups, new groups, um, that they may not have all the technical skills but there's something there and they have their own identity and they've maybe taken a few hooper classes or something like that they have their own identity and then they get coached yeah and then it's like oh but now you're doing that person's thing because i know that person's thing which is brilliant but it's that person's thing and it's not your own thing anymore yeah and it's a really hard balance i think for groups i think that's partly why I love um, Giggle Loop and the RH experience. Yeah. Because I've watched them for, both for years now, and they both of those teams like retain their own personality so yes. beautifully. Yeah. And they, you know, like all of us, they continually get more and more amazing improv. But still, there's there's those people, and you come for that vibe, yeah. and no one else can have that. They have personality, which is great. Whereas, yeah, like you say, maybe a generic coach team in one style becomes you know meh and the interesting thing is most of the groups I really love like uh, do not adjust your stage as well they're all just mates yeah they're they're groups that have known each other for years and years they've formed because they just have always hung out and discovered or and or discovered improv together you know you can't you can't fake that no it's very cool yeah and uh, yeah when you're watching a group like that you know you thought you know you know that they're friends you know that they they enjoy being on stage. Well, they enjoy being with each other in general, but they also enjoy being on stage. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's a lovely thing to see from the audience. And the same with Ostentatious, right? The, the yeah. Milk Monitors, I think, um, have been around for years before that show was a thing. And they're all buddies as well. Before they, a lot of them found individual fame kind of later on in that process, I believe. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, a couple of final questions. If... Um, if a listener to the Improv London podcast <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying the Improv London podcast because I know when I'm online and I'm typing it I'm thinking it's helping with SEO but when I just say it on the actual <laughs> podcast the person's already listening to the podcast it's unlikely that they'll have forgotten what podcast they're listening to anyway I'm uh, a conspiracy theorist so I figure my iPhone and your iPhone are both recording you saying that really and then put, putting it out into the world that's and brilliant all our advertising will be that yeah so maybe, maybe it's good in some awful conspiracy way well I mean I like the, I kind of like that idea that it's backed up so if the, this recorder doesn't work at least the FBI have got a car they've got the mythical episode 70 that no one else can hear but they'll enjoy listening back to that um, so well no if they start taking improv classes we're like ha we know why well how would we know that they'd got the, the the podcast through nefarious means rather than just going on the internet and listening to it. I thought you were going to say, how do we know they're MI5? I was like, oh yeah, they're wearing MI5 t-shirts to class? But yeah, both of those things were a problem. You'll never know. Uh, well, it's, it's interesting if the Secret Service decides to infiltrate the improv scene. I'm slightly thinking they've probably got higher priorities. I mean, you know, what are they going to what would be what would be the end game and what would be from their point of view the best outcome of this i mean they'll have a lot of agile leadership in their company i guess 
They'll have a yes and attitude to dealing, <laughs> tackling terrorism. Well, that's good that we're building on other people's <laughs> ideas. I mean, obviously, as improvisers, we think improvisation will solve everything and make everything better. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> MI5 doesn't know how to yes and, guys. <laughs> They're bad listeners. Whoa, it's, Whoa. you're not afraid to, uh, <laughs> to ditch it out. <laughs> Uh, let's hope they're not listening. Um, so if, if someone were to be on stage with you, uh, what could they do to delight you? Oh, what could they bring question. to a scene that would... I would say it would depend on the day and what mood I was in. Maybe that's obvious. So I guess I I like being endowed and I like other people to initiate. I think because I do those things a lot. Right. So that... Um, yeah, so that I get that reflected back at me is cool. I realise a kind of default is that I will, like, run the show. (laughs) (laughs) So if someone else steps up and does that, I immediately relax and go, cool, we both got this, rather than like, cool, I'll just look after you, I'll make sure everything's fine. You know, that's if it's someone I don't know. If it's someone I do know, I mean, they can do whatever they want. I I just want them to have a nice time if it's someone I trust or play with already. That's pretty great. I like physical stuff. As soon as someone's creating a a fun environment or a reason for us to move and mess about, then that's cool. Yeah, I love environment and moving things. That's great. Um, and also, I don't think I choose to make myself big characters that much. So when people do that to me, like make me be some big character, then that's really fun because yeah. I forget to do it myself. So there's like a hundred <laughs> things to it. Pick anyone you want. Brilliant. That's good to, good to have a selection to choose from. Um, and when you are working with people with whom you work a lot, mm-hmm. um, do you seek to delight them or to mess with them? Both. (laughs) It's the simple answer. Uh, Yeah, definitely both. I think when you know people well, you know what both those things are. You know, you know that how to push people out of their comfort zone in a good way, but you also know what their boundaries are, right? So you can go right up to them. (laughs) Uh, There's a nice thing uh, Craig Kukowski said, which was um, when you when you play with people you trust, there's no such thing as a pimp, there are only gifts. Right, yes. So, yes. you know, I kind of believe that. I don't think Chris, for example, could do anything where I was like, whoa, buddy, I'm really uncomfortable with this. You know, I think he can do what the hell he wants and it would be fine. Um, yeah, and in the Maydays, I think it depends on the team at the time and what's going on and what kind of show it is. So if it's a show where everyone's super comfortable with that format and everything, I think we all definitely mess with each other quite a lot. <laughs> and it becomes a little bit more meta. So, yeah, I think a bit of both. Cool, yeah. cool. And what would you say was your signature move? <laughs> what is it you do? And do you prefer classic Katie or classic shoot? <laughs> when, people, when you do that move, then the people go... Classic Katie, or do you like classic shoot? Oh, classic shoot. Yeah. She shoots, she scores, they could say. Is that what they say? No, no one has ever said that. Uh, No one knows how to pronounce my name. (laughs) Apart from you, you did it well. Um, (laughs) I I always try and avoid surname-based humour. I just feel that having, you know, the surname Moses at a Roman Catholic school, I feel that, you know, I've explored that area... (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I'm just going to, you know, anyway. I don't know. I feel like it's a... Uh, it's affectionate to call people by their surname. Yeah, oh yes. Yeah, no, that, that's fine, yes. Yeah, if I'm like, you're right, Moses. Yeah, yeah that'll be all right. Be, be, I'll be comfortable with that, yeah. Okay, cool, that's well, going to happen now. The uh, T.S. The, the, uh, Eliot reading poetry fans. <laughs> you go, all right, Moses. And then uh, <laughs> April is the cruelest month. Um, uh, what did you ask me? You asked signature me, move. Signature I was, giving, move. I was giving you time to think there. I was you feeling, were, and I was just like <laughs> listening. excited about Moses. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, probably I'll end up going on about uh, time travel. That's, right. that's probably what would happen. Or um, <laughs> what else do I do? Time travel's good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what my signature move is. It's, it's probably making something horrifically complicated and science fiction-y. Probably, or bringing up dinosaurs <laughs> or robots. <laughs> Brilliant! No, I think time travel, dinosaurs, and robots. What more, more could you want? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. If there's an improv team called that, I will watch all of your shows. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, um, how can people get? How can people buy your book? I was going to phrase it in a nicer way, but. <laughs> How can they get involved? How can they they be like me? I'm, I'm, I'm flicking through the book now. Oh, listen to that foley. It's brilliant. It's actually doing it with a cabbage because we don't have a book yet. That's not, <laughs> not true. Um, so I've got an Indiegogo at the moment. So if you go to Indiegogo, and frankly, if you type improv, there are three things that come up. One's my book, which is called The Improviser's Way, a long-form workbook. Or you'll get Ryan Miller's Take It Easy book. You should also buy that. Or you'll get the, um, I can't remember what the festival's called, but there's a Cape Town Improv Festival right. called Mama something. Um, so they're, they're the three improv things you'll find on Indiegogo. Um, pay for all of them, but mainly pay for my book. <laughs> uh, it's 15 quid, but it's fat, isn't it? Yeah, it's like no, a big the, fat. there is... There's a lot of um, ten by eight books. Yeah, no, it's, there's a lot. Of, there's inches. a lot of uh, there's a lot of good stuff in here. So yeah, that'd be great. But there's a deadline because we're printing it on the fourteenth. So you have to go and order it by the thirteenth. Otherwise, I don't know. You'll have to wait forever to get one. Um, and I'm going to be at a bunch of festivals over the next year. So if you don't want to pay postage, you can just buy a collect copy and then go to one of those festivals, and I'll bring it to you. So I'll be in uh, the May Days Retreat in September and March. I'll be in Amsterdam in January. Berlin now in uh, March. I'll be at Camp Improv Utopia in May. And I'm sure there'll be lots of others. So there you go. Go to Indiegogo. Hey! And do your thumbs up, which you can't see, but it's still fun. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you, Moses. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> I made this. Facts Improv! <laughs>